This is the Creativity Cocktail powered by Rising Tides Charity. Today, Larry Jr. is on the podcast with us, Larry Durham. And I have known Larry for at least 10 years, if not longer. We have had a chance to work together on various projects. Uh, and Larry, uh, I'm going to tell the story that I always share with you about how you've been such a great friend to me. So when I was having, when I decided to take the readings that I was doing because you know, and, and take all the stuff that I've been writing and make a reading out of it, um, and I was, I had to find a bunch of actors in a day, so in a few days. So it was like Tuesday and Friday I had to find all these actors. And so I knew that my friend Larry was in acting and in comedy. And so I called him up and he said, dude, don't even worry about it. Let me just help you cast the whole thing. <laughs> and I tell you, when that happened, oh, there was such, you, you don't know it, but the amount of relief that came over me was amazing. So, Larry, say what's up to the people in Creativity Cocktail World. What's up, people in Creative Cocktail World? <laughs> so, Larry, you have done so many things in, um, in, in our city. And I know you and I share something. We're both... Um, Giants fans, you are more a recent Giant fan. More, I'm more of a Bill Parcells era Giant fan, um, and I know you, you and I are at least dealing with a decent season. So, um, so tell tell us a little bit about what's going on with you. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you're up to, that kind of thing. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. Like you said, our friendship goes back like camel humps over two years, <laughs> over ten years ago. <laughs> Um, and I'm excited that uh, I still got a, a creative giant like you that, um, that's in my life. You only as good as the people you surround yourself with. So I'm real happy that uh, you're one of the people I surround myself with. Thank as far you. as me, um, the Larry Jr. Funny Brand, um, I started out um, performing like I'm sure a lot of black performers in the church. And so when I was growing up, I had to do the Mother's Day speeches and the Christmas pageant. And those kind of things instilled confidence that I still use today. Um, I uh, went to uh, Roselle Catholic High School, shouts out to the Lions in Roselle, New Jersey. And that's when I was first introduced to professional um, directors and choreographers in the high school capacity. Um, actually, starting out in the musical world, my first play that I ever did was uh, Guys and Dolls. I don't know if I ever told you that. No, um, but I played uh, nicely, nicely Johnson. Yeah. So did you? Um, I did you fat sing? White guy. Did you sing in this? I mean, is it, you sang? I did sing in there. Oh, I, I had a few songs, and my solo was uh, um, sit down, sit, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down your back of the boat. And uh, I worked with a phenomenal Rita Greco, and she gave me a lot of creative license to make it my own. And the way that it was portrayed on Broadway, the way that she allowed me to do it, she allowed me to put my Bobby Brown spin on it. And uh, I was off to the races ever since. Well, hold so on a I, second. Um, after graduating... Bobby Brown, yeah. Bobby Brown, what does that mean? Did you mean you had you had a Bobby Brown kind of haircut or you did you were my prerogative dancing with you? What do you mean, Bobby Brown? Hmm? I definitely put a little my prerogative <laughs> okay. in the Rock of the Boat dance. That's exactly what I mean. <laughs> That's awesome. That's cool. Yeah, those were cool, good times, man. And after I graduated from Roosevelt Catholic, I went to Hampton University in uh, Hampton, Virginia, the real HU, and I um, continued my progress, my nurturing in the theater under Dr. Karen Turner Wood. I also did a musical there um, 
I did uh, Little Shop of Horrors, and I played the dentist. Oh, wow. And that was a huge deal for me because I, that was at a time in my life I was a young adult and young performer, really didn't have a lot of things under my belt. And it was interesting to be able to form, perform for an all-black audience because it was a Catholic, it was predominantly white audience. So, you know, being able to embrace my blackness was a very important um, thing that happened to me in college. And I got to answer that age-old question, am I a black actor or an actor who's black? What was the answer? <laughs> depends on the part. Okay. Depends on the part. That's a good answer. Well, yeah. most of the time, yeah. yeah, it depends on the part. You got to be true to your to the part, but you also got to be true to yourself. Um, so after leaving Hampton, um, I, that's when I came down to Atlanta. And while I performed in a few things in Atlanta, um, my I also started a family. So I uh, married the um, beautiful Erica Morell from Georgia. We met in Hampton. Wow. We started a family. Um, we had uh, our first child, Larry three, in 2001. And then in 2003, we welcomed my uh, big mouth daughter to the family. And that was huge because my wife purchased the baby book. Yeah. And that baby book had a part inside of it that she wanted me to fill out. And I'm like, why do I have to do this kind of, you know, stuff that this is girl work? And anyway, when I went to the daddy page and I was writing down the kind of daughter I wanted her to be and the kind of dad I wanted her to be, one of the things I wrote down, Winston, was I want her to always do what she's good at doing and when i wrote that down that's not what i was doing at the time and this is um this is a, a subject or a theme that you and i have talked about the balancing act between yes. being the artist and then having a family and it's a balancing act that i've been doing ever since you know i've had the blessing of a family so to make a long story short after my daughter was born my uh, new family, the two uh, babies and diapers, moved back up to New Jersey, and I went to acting school at the Atlantic Theater Conservatory in New York City. And that's, I would like to say, where the, um, I think Hampton University kind of baked the cake as far as I'm concerned, with my, me being an artist, and then the Atlantic Theater put the, the icing or the polish on that cake. And ever since then, um, we stayed up there for about two years, and then we came back down to Atlanta. And that's when I, you know, really kick-started my professional career. And since then, I was able to be in a handful of films, um, television projects, and a lot of stage projects. Because at my heart, I'm a theater guy. Yeah. So I, can't, I can't remember um, the one that you were in. Shoot, I think my memory is fleeting. But there was one at the Essential Theater that I went to okay. that you were in. Oh, my gosh. It was like somebody had a, it was like violence in there. Someone got shot in the middle of it. You know, right I remember yeah. it was a it was a gritty uh, Boston crime um, crime drama called Straight Off. Yes, yes, yes. And um, yeah, it was directed by the incomparable Peter Hardy. Shout out to Peter Hardy. Um, he does a fantastic job at the Essential Theater here in Atlanta, and I was glad to be a part of that project. Yeah, that was that was that was great. That was intense. It was like one of those things you you know when you go to theater, you don't know that you're going to see something like that, but when it comes out, it hits you right between the eyes. It was it was great. 
Yeah, a lot of my uh, fan base really enjoyed that project in particular because I'm a funny guy. So normally I'm the funny guy in the project. In that particular project, I got an opportunity to display my dramatic chops. So it was a welcome surprise that uh, a lot of my, my fans wasn't really expecting. So that was a good thing to be able to you know, stretch yourself. Yeah, it was because I think at that time maybe I had that same kind of Maybe I was personally putting you in a box as well because you had come and done something for me. I was running a, a sales team and I was doing some awards and I'd asked you to come in and do some comedy pieces that went over like a hit. People I remember it. that. I mean, it was people yeah. just thought it was incredible. I was like, you had everyone in stitches. And so, so just so everyone recounts, because I said it relatively fast, I, was do, I had a sales team. Uh, quite a sizable sales team and we were doing like an end of year things you do for like a holiday party and I asked Larry to come in and to do a comedy bit which I don't know it lasted maybe 15-20 minutes or so all I know is that to this day Larry people be talking about that it's just that it was just that really yeah. well I want you to know that that was huge because um, in a corporate environment you know you have to keep it clean well, I'm a relatively clean comic. I like to take baths occasionally. Um, being in that environment, especially, you know, with my uh, my job being, you know, attached to it, you want to be careful what you say. Yeah. And sometimes I get that right, and sometimes I don't get that right. But that was one of those days where um, it was really clicking. So it was always good to be able to you know, make right. people feel good. You, you, you were right. Yeah. Talking about balance, you were right on the edge there, which was perfect, which worked out really well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I try not to go over the edge, but I definitely tiptoe on. Yeah, that's right. So if, if someone's... So tell us a little bit about your process. You've done so many things. So when you're ready to... Whether it's a a role that you're about to undertake or it's a production you're about to get involved in, how do you mentally get ready for that? Or, or do you use any kind of tools or practices that you could share? Sure. So from an acting standpoint... It, be, it begins and it ends with the script and with the uh, the character. So, you know, over the years, especially after I, I obtained training, and I would really emphasize to, you know, all of your listeners that if you are pursuing, uh, whatever you're pursuing, the more education and resources you can equip yourself with tools, the, the more prepared you'll be for success. And it was very important that I was exposed to the professional theater from such a young age in high school. And then I took that next step when I went to Hampton and then I ultimately culminated going to the acting conservatory that equipped me with a lot of tools. So when I'm looking at a project, especially after I came out of the conservatory, I want to look at the whole project. And what I mean by that is it's not just about my part or my character. It's about how I fit into how my, my, my paint fits into the whole canvas of the project. And so I try to pick projects that I think would be something that an audience would like and that I would enjoy performing in. The next thing is who is the leader? No matter what you're doing, you're only going to be as good as the leader that's in that project. Gotcha. And that falls on the producer, the director. And so I love to have a conversation to make sure I can bring to the table what they're looking for. And then when it comes down to the character, at the uh, Atlantic Theater, they did a fantastic job of equipping us with tools to um, create a character that, you know, I can step into as a character and operate. It's almost like an um, Iron Man. The character is the Iron Man costume, and the actor steps in to that costume so we can operate it to do our part for the overall good of the story. 
what an awesome and, uh, analogy. So that's what my process is. That's yeah. that's and, and it's it cool because it really kind of takes the personal side away. Like, takes, you know, me, Larry, away. Now it's all about the character. And then the character can now um, go after whatever that objective happens to be on stage. And it takes away, you know, any stage fright or a wonder, you know, what the audience is thinking at this particular moment because you're so immersed in trying to get the character to where that character needs to be. So that, that's a little bit of my background and how I work when I'm participating in a project. Yeah, you said something there while you were sharing that um, around someone, about anyone that's out there really taking a keen interest in growing and developing their craft. And, and you mentioned that you went to the conservatory and you've done these other things in order to continue to hone your your um your, your own skill set um when, when you think about those that are out there because there's, there's this kind of this juxtaposition between yeah i'm just talented and yeah i want to grow my um my abilities what, what are your thoughts on those things i think that if you are performing in any capacity whether it be an athlete or an actor or a musician you have to pour yourself into practice so your your work should really be done at home. You should do homework so that when it's time to step on stage or in front of the camera, you can play and you can just let go. I have an expression I use. I, when I'm in front of the camera, the curtain open, I let go and let God. And I can let go because I've done my work and I know that I'm prepared. And then I let God take me and my spirit wherever it needs to go. Wow. Let go and let God. That's right. That is, that is awesome. So right now, tell us about some of the things that you've got going on, you know, here in 2000, almost, you know, 2020, let's say that, you know, when this is published, it'll be 2020. What are some of the things that Larry's got going on? I can't believe that it's 2020. It's I can't like even. blowing my mind. <laughs> I cannot That's even. That's amazing that it's 2020. Things are very exciting for me right now. So I'm um, part of a podcast. The name of the podcast is called All Over It. And you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google, um, any platform that you listen to your podcast. And I encourage you to check it out. Uh, this podcast is basically for people who talk about current events or topics that come up in life. And one of the talented artists on there have a, has a production company. Um, her name is Terry Sean. Um, we have a sex therapist on there. Her name is Dr. Lovejoy. Right. And then we have a, a music producer. His name is Young C.O.D. And then I well, wait a bring minute. You went too my fast element there. to there. Well, you went too fast. Okay. Right? We had to slow up. So you said there's a sex therapist on the podcast. That's correct. <laughs> okay. There's a sex therapist on there named Dr. Lovejoy. So, and it seems like no matter what topic we're talking about, Winston, uh -huh. we always end up putting a sexualized spin on it. Oh, wow. So recently we recorded a podcast this week and we were giving our point of views on the fabulous pop star known as Lizzo uh -huh. and her outrageous outfits and what kind of impacts they have on an artist and on her, her artistry. So um, we, talk, we talk about a little bit of everything. Um, we're all over the place and that's why we named that podcast all over it. So I, like I encourage that. you and the listeners to go check it out. I think it's something that's thought-provoking. might make you laugh a little bit and definitely make you think. Yeah, I'm going to check then, that one out. Um, yeah, I'm going to check, check that, that out. out. Yeah, because I was having this debate with, now, I, um, about the Lizzo thing recently, and it was um, it was a heated debate, let's put it that way. 
Yeah, and it's so interesting because you could go a lot of different ways from an artistic debate to a um, body image debate to a music debate. So she and her team, I think, have done a fantastic job of putting her out there on the forefront from a lot of different angles. Yeah, she's and, absolutely, and her music is great too. I like, I love that. I love her music, and I think she, I think she got nominated for some of these awards that are upcoming. I can't remember which one. I think um, she not only got nominated, I think she won some stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw something recently. Was it the Grammy? I can't remember. I think it's a Grammys. My wife and I have a tendency to listen to all the Grammy nominees. as kind of our thing, and I know she was nominated okay. for a bunch of things. I was like, wow, that's that's fantastic. So you said you got yeah, something else coming. Yeah. Yeah. So this year I'm also putting a focus on stand up comedy. So I started dabbling in stand up comedy back in 2010. And over the years I would dabble a little more and more. And now I really feel like I'm ready to uh, jump out there with, you know, two feet. So hopefully um, we're looking to record my first stand up special. It's going to be called uh, First Timer. That's awesome. And then basically the theme of that show is, you know, the first time you go through different things, the first time you get to drive a car, or the first time you get your first paycheck, right. or the first time you get your first, well, just come check out the special and you can check it out. So um, I'm very excited about that project. We're looking to um, film that sometime over the summer, targeting a uh, fourth quarter release. So that's the biggest project that I have uh, coming up. And then lastly, I am writing my first, um, I guess you would call it a webisode series. And the webisode series, um, the name of it is going to be called Head Cases. And it's about this uh, guy who stumbles into the, a career as a uh, sex therapist. And so um, the show is going to feature a I'm, lot of I'm sensing, the, I'm sensing a theme there, Larry, a little bit. You might, you might be sensitive to the theme, yeah. <laughs> um, it's going to feature a lot of Atlanta uh, comics um, and some fantastic actors as well. So we're looking to um, do production on that probably in the, uh, in the second quarter with a holiday release, you know, next year. So those are the, the projects that I have that I'm working on right now. I'm very, very excited about it. 2020 should be a fantastic year. I am so jazzed about all of those things. Those are fantastic, really, really great things. The comedy, I tell you, I I am so in awe of what you do with comedies. Uh, I love writing and performing and all of these things. But I tell you, there's two genres that um, have always been a bugaboo for me. One is horror, and that's because I'm just, you know, just not a fan of horror in the traditional sense, which means I should probably write something about it since I'm not a fan. Uh, but com <laughs> but comedy has always been a massive challenge. And I don't mean comedy like, you know, I write something and there's something comedic in it. I mean, comedy, comedy like what you do, that is that to me is like the the gold standard. I mean, being able to do that effectively is such an awesome thing. It really is. Yeah, it really is. You know, and I, I've never really saw myself as a comic. I only saw myself as an actor. But as the evolution of my artistry has grown, I've just expanded out to there. And it's very freeing to be on stage with your thoughts and ideas and to see how many laughs you can gather per minute. You know, as a, as a stand-up comedian, our goal is to get five laughs a minute. Did you know that? I did not know that. Five laughs a minute. Yeah, that's the goal. 
Five laughs a minute. So when we're writing our material and performing it, we're trying to garner as many laughs. But our our, our goal is five laughs a minute. We put you at the headline of stats. Oh wow! So I might be a comedy a com a comedian at some point. I might be. But the challenge is, I don't know if people are laughing with me. So that might be the that might be the difference about the. Well, I tell you this: if you are going to pursue stand up comedy, you really need uh, two things. A, you need to be funny. That really comes in handy when you're trying to make people laugh. I think that's important. Funny. Yeah, I think that's kind of a key thing. I'm yeah. telling you, yeah. it comes in handy. <laughs> and then the second thing you need are huge cojones because yeah. you have to be able to go out there with the confidence that you're going to be funny and you're going to make people laugh. And one of the things I learned over the years as a stand-up is not to try to make everybody laugh. The most important person is to make laugh is yourself. And then once you can make yourself laugh and you go out there and share your art, you're going to find that other people are going to come along for the ride. But if we have a room of 200 people, we don't have to make 200 people laugh. If you can just get 14 loud laughters, you're going to go all the way to the top. 14 loud laughters. That is real fantastic guidance. I have never heard that before. That is awesome. So let me ask you, what do you think about comedians and this, I know this is off the path of what our topics are, but comedians that when they're doing their, their routine, they like laugh out loud about what they just said. You know, like, I, I like, I, it's funny you say that. Yeah. I was at the club last night and I saw comedy icon Tommy Davidson performing. Yes. And Tommy Davidson was hilarious. He's a very physical com comic, which I love. I try to pat on myself after that as well. And, when he had time, and I was trying to figure out if he was genuinely laughing or if this were he decided to help the audience laugh a little bit. Because when you're on stage and you laugh, it's kind of a trigger to, to get the rest of the audience to laugh. Gotcha. Um, so the answer to your question is, I, um, I think that if it's organic, then it's fine. Because you want it to be real. And people can sense when it's genuine and when it's not. However, if it's a, um, I think that some comics do it as a coping mechanism or as a defense mechanism. So, or they try to uh, get to start the laughter. It's almost like a cheat, if you will, for me. Um, and there, there's a few comics, and I'll let them remain nameless. But I think that's part of their stick is they'll tell their joke, and when they get to the punchline, they'll laugh um, as a way to start the laughter in the room. And I feel like that's cheating a little bit. So for me, as a as a stand up, you know, it, I, I may chuckle, but I, I probably wouldn't, you know, belly belly laugh because, you know, what I'm trying to do is gauge the room, engage the energy, and I'm really gauging the patience of what I'm saying. So, um, but to answer to your question, I don't have a problem with it as long as it's organic. But when it's staged, I think it comes off the stage. I tell you, the one thing that I've learned, and this is probably going back to the sales days, is that um, people can read body language very very closely so when someone is doing something inauthentic it people can tell really well um, but when when there's a comedian that's laughing and you can tell that they really are laughing that they're genuinely laughing I think people know that this is you know this is a, an authentic representation of how they feel about it as opposed to a nervous laughter or they're trying to like you said initiate a laughter amongst the crowd um yeah, and I'll give you a little hint. If you see a comedian that's laughing and looking at the crowd, I think that's a cheat. But if you have a comedian who's laughing and they can't see the crowd, 
for instance, when Tommy Davidson would laugh at some of his own punchlines, he would bend over where he was looking at the floor. He was genuinely cracking himself up, which is funny in and of itself. That is so cool. Uh, Tommy Davidson, wow, that's great. I would have loved to see him. He is just, He seems like one of those guys that, yeah, I know everyone's got their material, but he's probably been doing it for 20, 30 years at this point where he just goes up on stage and just starts doing his thing. You know, he just starts, That's you know, exactly what happened. Yeah. He starts doing his thing. So, so, so when you, you mentioned this earlier, Larry, when you talked about some of the people who've had a, an effect on you or an impact on you. You talked mm-hmm. about Peter Hardy and you talked about some of the individuals at the, um, the conservatory. Tell us here, you know, and maybe you'll, you'll say some of these names again, but some of the people that have really had a powerful impact on you, you know, at this point in your career that you would say, hey, I am glad that she or he was here for me at this moment. Who, who were a couple of those people? The first person I have to start with is their old mom. My mother is probably where I get the majority of my sense of humor from. And I remember Winston being maybe seven or eight years old, and we were doing some kind of talent show, I think, for Boy Scouts. And I decided this would be a great opportunity for me to do my Michael Jackson. (laughs) And so I performed Beat It um, in a Thriller Red... uh, jacket at the Cub Scout talent show. And when I went out there, I had a mop on my head and the silk leather jacket and the patent leather shoes and the socks. You couldn't tell me I wasn't Michael. (laughs) And when I went out there, people started laughing and I was taking this super serious. And so while I sang, I did not dance with the energy that I had practiced with that my mother had Uh saw me practice with. And when I came off stage, my mother was waiting for me at the bottom of the stage. And she said, what happened? Why weren't you dancing like you've been practicing? And I told her that, you know, they were laughing at me. And she said, it doesn't matter what they are laughing at or what they're thinking. It only matters what you were giving them. And that was huge because since that point, when I was seven or eight, I could care less if the audience was laughing or not laughing or they were with me or not with me and I cared more about everything I could give to them and that was that was huge and I got that from my mother at a young age what never a, had stage fright after powerful, that what a powerful all message well, I had a little mama fright but I didn't have any stage <laughs> fright what was so, your what, what's your mom's yeah. name so we can shout make sure you shout out to your mom <laughs> oh my mom is Renetta Renetta, Renetta Durham yeah one of the best moms in the world Renetta thank yeah, you so you, much mom. that's fantastic Awesome. Yeah, and then I would also say um, Dr. Karen Turner Ward at Hampton University was she was very impactful because prior to getting to Hampton, I would really describe myself as a loud mouth, look at me performer. And Dr. Karen Turner Ward, what Dr. Ward did for me was she made me appreciate the the art as a whole and to, and to take my artistry seriously, especially being a black artist. Um, you know, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants um, and people who came before me. And what I could bring to the table um, was impactful. And so she made it real for me. Um, so I have to definitely shout out Dr. Karen Turner Ward. And then uh, lastly, I would probably mention, I can mention all of my teachers at the conservatory. It was such a um, warm and 
um, outstanding environment to develop yourself in. It's really safe. Um, and that's hard to find a good, you know, safe place for you as a, as a growing artist, especially in New York City. Um, but I have to, I have to mention Cynthia Silver. She was my film, um, acting coach. And she is the one who I guess, you know, I, I keep in my, my artistic eye and my artistic head because I could hear her in my head saying, you know, um, slow down or who are you talking to? Or, you know, is this real? You know, she really emphasized having real moment to moment work. So I definitely have to give her a shout out as well. Cynthia Silver um, at the Atlantic Theater Conservatory was phenomenal. Yep. That is great. You mentioned earlier about balance and, um, you know, with your family and all the things that you're doing. What are some of the what are some of the ways that you're doing that today? And I know it's an ongoing process, right? You know, balance is not like a finite thing that you, you got solved. Um, but what, what are some of the ways that you kind of work towards achieving balance these days? These days is all about um, time management, the calendar and being prepared. And you have to really be disciplined to that calendar. And that's something that, you know, and, and I'm one of those artists, I think a lot of artists are, um, that, that's not really our strong suit. We are very spontaneous and go with the flow. But to achieve, you know, the level of balance that my artistry and my family both deserve, I really have had to adopt over the years some strong, disciplined time management um, tools to, to make sure that I can take care of the things that are priority. And the priority in my life, I really um, categorize them as the four Fs. The first priority is my faith. You know, I'm, I'm so blessed that God has provided me with, you know, talent and ability to go out here and, and do my thing. And then the biggest blessing I think you can ever get is family. And I've been blessed with an outstanding family. Um, so that's the first one. The second F is, uh, is family. You know, um, I, I, was, I was raised by... Um, the best mother and father you ever could ask for. And I have two brothers, uh, Shane Sr. and Brandon Antoine, and then I have my baby sister, who's now in her 40s. But she's still my baby sister, uh, Nikki. And so, you know, having that kind of foundation um, really has impacted me as the kind of man that I am and the kind of artist that I am. So the second F is family. I think family is everything. The third F is your uh, fitness. You have to take care of yourself. No matter how great of a life, life you may have, if you don't have health, um, you won't be able to enjoy it and get the most out of it. Um, and then the last F is, um, you know, finances. Uh, it takes money to live in the land of milk and honey, Winston. So you got to be able to make sure that you can, you know, take care of your financial responsibilities and also, you know, use your finances as the tool it's supposed to be to help you live the life that you want to lead. So um, time management is is very important. You got to be disciplined with that. And then I try to follow the four F's and then let everything else, you know, fall where they may. You can have one last F for fall. Yeah, it can fall where they may after that. Yeah, that is great. You know, I I think we should talk more about that because that really aligns to some of the acronyms that we use. So we use one called SAIL. And, you know, when you think about, you know, service. I remember and, that when I came to check you out. Yeah, when yeah. You another at the Atlanta Black yeah. Theater Festival. So, and That's I've, right. And I've had a chance recently to talk to some students at university. 
here in Atlanta where I've introduced a new one, which is the four C's. So we should put the four C's okay. and the four F's and maybe they can combine and, you know, copulate or something. And going back to the theme of the conversation, <laughs> maybe they can link up and they can do something together. So I think that would be cool. Um, it, I have to tell you, uh, brother, and, 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 and I don't Wait, say this. Now you gotta tell us about the four C's. You just can't tease me like that. Well, you know, uh, the four C's is going to be its own kind of little podcast, but I'll introduce one to everyone that's here. And, and those of you who follow us on the different social platforms, you can see these things. But the really the first one is around capturing everything. And this goes back to what you said about balancing and how there's so many things that's going on. Like right now, the people who are listening to us and they're like, these two guys are having a fantastic conversation. But in their own mind, they've come up with some idea about something. They're like, I got to go do something or I got a new idea. The, the first seat is about capturing that. How do you capture that out of your head into somewhere where you can reference it in the, in the, you know, in the future? That is such an important thing because without that, our minds will go crazy trying to remember all the stuff we think about. We just can't remember. I mean, I'm telling you, before this day is over, I can tell you with, without knowing what the rest of your day is like, you're going to at least have three really cool ideas about something before the day is over. And so what do you do? Not more. <laughs> That's right. At, at a minimum, I'm just hedging myself a little bit. But, it, it, but what do you do with those three? Do you let them just go in and flitter away out of your head? Some people would say that that's an okay thing, that you should just do that. I've heard some people who are like in meditative practices saying, yeah, let things come in and let them flitter away. And then there's contrasting thoughts like David Allen and his book, Getting Things Done, where you got to capture it. Or, you know, he uses capture, but I use a capture in a more intense way because every single person that I know of in this world has multiple roles, right? So none of us are just like, um, we're not just one thing. And I think, you know, if you look at TV, they'll just say, yeah, well, this person is one role. But even the most successful person that's out there has more than one role. So if you think of political people, or if you think of entertainers, none of them are just, you know, a singer or an, an actor or a politician. They've got multiple roles. So how do they capture all the stuff that's going on in their, in their life? So that's the first C. So those of you who listen to this podcast, I actually... For, you know, all of the listeners there, we actually have off podcast where we have our guests in one um, one session. And then we have another one where we talk about some of those four C's and the SAIL acronym that we've introduced. Because, Larry, what you shared about time management is such a key thing for 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 me personally and for a lot of people that I know of that's in our world and our entertainment and aspirational world is that. We've got to figure out how to make sure that our time, that we're maximizing our time as much as possible. And I don't mean crazy things like you'll hear from people like, you know, map out every single minute of your day. That's stupid. You can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and, not, and not realistic. Yeah, you just can't do that. I mean, there's some moments in your day when you're just like, you know, I'm just tired. You know, I've given X amount of time to the work that I'm doing or to who I'm talking with. I need a break. Or I feel like watching my TV show. Or I feel like having a conversation with my significant other or my kids. That's as important as anything else. And you mentioned another thing in your four Fs, which I think is super important, and that's around fitness. Like, I'll never be a marathon runner, but taking care of my fitness is so important, um, especially as we get older 
is that we've got you can't do stuff if your health ain't right. You just you know you just, it's just tough to do anything if you if your health is is struggling. And as anyone who's had a health malady knows, as soon as a health situation um, shows up in our lives, it takes precedence over everything else. That's right. You know, and so being in front of that as much as possible, you can't prevent all things, but being in front of that as much as possible is super key. And, um, and that means that, you know, every so often I gotta, I gotta have some broccoli, you know, I gotta go on a treadmill. <laughs> I gotta do some things that I know that are investments in myself. Um, Hey, Winston, broccoli matters. Yeah. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. <laughs> you know, I, I, I could eat, and I say broccoli because I could eat broccoli every day of the week. This is just my thing. Uh, I'm like, what's the, what was the first George W. Bush, George H.W. Bush? I think he loved broccoli. So I'm, I'm like him. So, so someone's sitting out there today, Larry, and they've heard this and say, that Larry guy, he is awesome. He's got this great, um, this great path that's going on. Um, how are some ways that if they wish to connect with you outside of the podcast and they want to do that, what are some ways they can do that? Well, one of the things I have to get better at is social media. So anyone who's interested in more information about the projects I have going on, even participating in some of the projects, I welcome all comers. I think that any kind of, time you have a conversation with fellow artists, you, you, you never know what you may tap into. So if you're interested in connecting with me, you can go to Instagram and uh, follow me at Larry Jr. Funny, L-A-R-R-Y-J-R-F-U-N-N-Y. So at Larry Jr. Funny. And pretty much you can find me across all social media at that moniker. So uh, yeah, reach out to your boy. I love to connect with everybody. Uh, that is great. Thank you so much. And thank, and I, I'm going to ask you this in public now, but I, we would love to have you join the podcast in, in the future as well, um, if, if you are willing, because I think that this podcast will be well received by all that are listening to it. Oh, absolutely. You know you're my man, so whatever you need, man. I'm Team Winston all day, baby. <laughs> I appreciate you, my brother. So someone's sitting there today and they're like, I, I've been creative or I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm thinking about going back into acting or I am an actor or I'm a, I'm a writer, but I don't know what to do with my creativity. I don't know what I should do or, or I need one thing to spark me. What is one word or one sentence you would share with them? Mm, that's, a, that's a strong one right there. I would share with them, jump in. You know, okay. as an artist, you have to do, you know, that verb to do. So do something, whether it's go and see a show, whether it's volunteer at a community theater, whether it is signing yourself up on the various extra um, sites, just to go be an extra possibly on a, you know, on a film uh, production. You know, we are located in the Atlanta metro area, where, which is the second Hollywood, you know, to some. So there's so many projects that are going on all the time. I would encourage you, you know, if you're, if you're that person, you're that artist, jump out there and do something. Either go watch it or go be a part of it and see what happens from there. That is awesome. Thanks again. And I, I'll, I'll say this. I said it before. Um, I thank you so much for your help in my career, Larry. Um, I, I believe this wholeheartedly that it's really not about anything else in this life, but the friendships and the relationships that you have. None of us will remember how much stuff we bought, you know, 
you know, as we get older, as time goes on, no one will remember how much stuff you had, but what we will remember is remember who was there and who looked out for us and who we connected with and what did we do together. Relationships are the only thing, in my opinion, they're the real currency of this world. And so I thank you. I love you so much, my brother, for being there for me. Right back at you, man. I'm looking forward to uh, working with you in the future, man. We ever do. We need to do something together. Thank you so much. Now, those of you who are out there, Creativity Cocktail, thanks, Larry, for joining us. All of you who are out there, we know that there's so much that you have to offer and to give to this world. You're doing it right now, no matter what you might be doing. Do it by helping other people. Do it when you're overcoming the most difficult times in, in your life. Whatever that might be, take that moment and say, you know what, this is the time for me to be my most creative self. So do that, and we know that your life will be so rich and with so much bounty. So again, thanks, Larry. And that is the end of this episode of the Creativity Cocktail powered by Rising Tides Charity.